Amen. What a joy it is to be with you this morning here at Ivy Creek. On behalf of your Georgia Baptist Mission Board, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being the kind of church that we have to be to reach our neighbors and the nations with the gospel. What an awesome thing that as we gather here that we had an opportunity today to pray for your friends from this church who are in Guatemala. Because, you know, Acts 1-8, where Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we think that's multiple choice. It's not multiple choice. It's all of the above. So thank you, Ivy Creek, for being that kind of church. I want you to know, I've heard about you for several years now and uh, heard it from a reliable source, what an incredible church you are, how you have a heart for the word of God, for the gospel, for your neighbors, for the nations, how you love to serve one another and serve even strangers. I've heard nothing but good about you from the reliable source of your pastor. That's a good thing. No, seriously. Pastor Craig and I got to be friends a couple of years ago, even before I took this role, didn't see this coming. We both were pastoring churches and would get together and share together. And I want you to know, it is such a joy to hear the joy that your pastor has in serving alongside you, in loving you, in leading you. Because guys, there are a lot of church pastors who don't feel that. They feel alone, they feel abandoned, they're struggling. But I want you to know, your pastor is always encouraged. Every time we've had lunch together, every time we've talked on the phone or or had some conversation after a meeting together, he always, always was talking about the great things God is doing here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. So thank you, not only for being who you are, but thank you for loving on your pastor and his family. Thank you for encouraging him, for supporting him. Thank you for just loving he and Caroline and their kids and their family. And I know that he today is, has that, that time away just to refresh and renew. And thank you for encouraging that even, for him to take some time and for praying for them as they're away. Again, it's an honor to be with you this morning. And today I want to spend a few moments talking about two words that we often don't connect together. Two words that we sometimes disconnect, if anything, is the word dream and the word do. The word dream and the word do. Because here's the thing, oftentimes, especially as Baptists, we are good at the doing part. We're good at being busy, right? I mean, we used to give awards. I remember when I was growing up, we, man, we got awards for, you know, not missing a Sunday, for being there on Wednesday nights, for memorizing this, for doing, I mean, anything you could do, we had a pen for, a, a certificate for, something for, because we're all about doing, and doing is good, but the problem is sometimes in our doing, it becomes kind of mechanical. We lose our passion. We forget why we're doing what we're doing, or sometimes we're just doing what we're doing, and we don't even realize God has something else that he wants us to do. But we don't have time for what God has us to do because we're busy doing what we do. So that's the first word. But then that word dream, that's a great word, isn't it? Dream. And some of us, the fact is there was a time in our life when we dreamed, but we just got busy with life. There was a time when we would imagine what if. There was a time when we could sort of imagine different scenarios and different situations and different circumstances. But somewhere along the way, with our busyness of life and our schedules and our jobs and our responsibilities, and not only outside the church, but even sometimes as followers of Jesus, oftentimes we stop dreaming. We might play hide and seek with our dream. You know what I'm talking about? Where there's a dream maybe, and you think, what if? And then you go, well, it's too late now. I'm too old, or I'm married, or I've got a career, or or I should have done this when I was younger. You know, after college, I should have done this, or in college, I should have done that. Some of you today, even as as Pastor Ted mentioned the the mission trip, you thought, yeah, I thought about, maybe I even imagined myself going on the mission trip, but I didn't go, so oh well, it's over. But this morning, I want you to know, that dream that's played in hide and seek, 
that dream that's kind of gotten uh, kind of pushed aside and covered up with all the busyness and all the responsibilities, I believe this morning God wants to renew some dreams in our hearts. For some of us, today is going to be a day where what we're doing is going to change. For some of us, it's going to be what we're dreaming is going to change. And my prayer is that for all of us, there's going to be a collision. There's going to be a colliding of dreaming and doing for the glory of God. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 in just a moment. Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament, a familiar passage beginning in verse 6 in just a moment. We're going to look at Paul and how the Apostle Paul had a vision. He had a dream that changed his doing. And as we get ready to dive into this text, let me just remind us that today there are some of us in this room, some of us watching this message, and the greatest thing you could do, the greatest act of faith that you could distribute today, the greatest way you could show that that Jesus is first in your life is just to hit pause, is to stop thinking about all of the processes and all of the responsibilities and all of the plans, and to just say, God, I'm going to step back, I'm going to take a deep breath, I'm going to slow down. And I'm going to let your word and your spirit speak into my heart, into my mind to see what I don't see, to hear what I've not been hearing because of all the the sounds and busyness around me. And Lord, ultimately to be able to do what you want me to do. Did you know it's a courageous thing to dream? We live in a culture that that oftentimes puts dreams down, especially when it comes to dreams that are faith-driven. We think the greatest dreams come from ourselves. We think the greatest dreams come from the inspiration of someone else. But the fact is, the greatest dream you can ever dream, the greatest do that you can ever do, come not from ourselves and not from within, but they come from the Word of God and they come from the Spirit of God. And Ivy Creek, I believe that God not only wants to have a dream for you individually, but oftentimes in the body of Christ, in the local church, the dreaming and the doing that God does in and through our lives individually, through our spouse and us, through our family and us, or through us as an individual, that oftentimes the greatest thing God does is he puts those dreams and he puts those doings together and he does something in our church for his glory that's greater than any of us. And I believe that this morning God wants to renew some dreams. He wants to restore some dreams. He wants to redirect some doing for his glory. Because if there's any place that ought to be a dream center, it ought to be the local church. I mean, do we understand the God that we serve, the God who gave us his written word is the God who spoke the world into being. Everything that has ever been, he created. He's not a boring black and white kind of God. He's a multicolor, multi-technic, 3D, 4D, incredible kind of God. But yet somewhere along the way is his people. We act as if God is past tense and maybe even future tense, but that somehow he's not present tense. Well, church, I want you to know this morning, the God we serve is not only past and not only future, but he is present. He is here, and now there are some students in this room, and God wants to put a vision in your heart. He wants to give you a dream that's so grand that if it happens, you'll know it's not you, that it's him. There's some couples in this room. And listen, God wants to do something in your relationship with one another to be an example of forgiveness and even of restoration and of hope and of ministry in your marriage, a picture of the love of God that will be a testimony to your children and to your grandchildren. There's some of you in your health. You've waited to hear maybe this week a report from the doctor and you're expecting the worst. And indeed, it might be the very thing you don't want to hear, you're going to hear. But yet, even in that desperate place, even in that difficult place, God wants to renew his dream in your heart. And again, listen, the dreams God gives us are not just for our good. They're for his glory. They're not just about us. They're about him. 
They're not just about what we're doing. They're about what he is doing. And Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. So I want us to look here in Acts chapter 16 and, and, and look what the scripture says in verses 6 through 10 about this vision, about this dream that the Apostle Paul had. Now, as we read through this text, just realize this isn't just about the Apostle Paul. That the Spirit of God included this in the Word of God so that the people of God like us right here on this Sunday in July of 2021 in Beaufort, Georgia, that God doesn't only want us to see what happened then, but He wants us to see what He wants to do now. That God's Word is living and it's active. So look with me, beginning in verse number 6 of Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul and his companions, they traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And then they came to the border of Mysia, and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, many of us in this room and many listening to this message, you're familiar with this passage. Maybe you acted it out, you know, in the youth group or in, in children's church or children's ministry. You, maybe you've seen the, the, the presentation in a video, and it's a powerful moment. But here's the thing. There's some powerful truths in this moment that are not only about Paul, but they're about us. They're not only about his dream. They're about our dreams. They're not only about what he was doing. They're about what we ought to be doing. Now, let me remind you, this same man, a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 9, he already had his life redirected. He already had his life changed by a vision, by a dream once. See, Paul was Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He was the one who was martyring, who was killing Christians, and he had an encounter with Jesus, and he went from being a martyr of Christians to being a missionary for churches. His life was radically changed. Who he was was changed. And because who he was was changed, what he did change in Acts chapter 9. He had a vision that changed him. And now we come to Acts 16, and there once again is a dream. There once again is a vision that is changing what he's doing. You see, in the beginning of Acts 16, if you go back and read those first few verses, first five verses, what you discover is that Paul and Silas and Timothy have a mission from the churches at Jerusalem They've been sent out to go to these young churches to help them understand that the church at Jerusalem, the leaders of the New Testament church, had finally come to a clear understanding about salvation that you did not have to become a Jew first in order to be a Christian. Now, we all go, well, yeah, duh, but it, that was a big deal in their day. There was a lot of conversation, a lot of discussion about the very thing of salvation, about how is it that you become a follower of Jesus? How do you become a disciple of Jesus? And the discussion and debate seem to go back and forth, back and forth. And finally, there's clarity now. So Paul and Timothy and Silas go from the Jerusalem church to go to these young established churches, to go to these young Christians and say, hey, we want to bring some clarity. We want you to understand you do not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. That was good news. And that was their mission. That was their message. And, and rightly so. But then we get to this verses 6 through 10, and we see there is a change. What they're doing was a good thing. They weren't going to bring confusion or chaos. No, they were going to bring clarity, right? They were going to help the church know how salvation worked and that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and that you don't have to go through a religious system first to get to the relationship with Jesus. Man, that's good stuff. But even though it was good stuff, God was going to redirect what they were doing. And that's the first principle I want you to see. 
God dreams redirect doing. Paul's life had been redirected, and now his, his message and his mission and his ministry were being redirected. Do you see that? This, this thing God was doing was changing the direction. Now, two times in the text we read, two times in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and verse 7, there are two statements that you may have just ran over real quick. I know I did it first, but then somewhere along the way, I stopped in my tracks and went, wait, wait, what does it say? Look again, the end of verse number 6. Acts 16, verse 6. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Okay, that's kind of, wait, wait. So the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them preach the word, the gospel. That's what it says. And then verse number seven, look again, the end of the verse. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So so church, let this sink in for a moment, friends. God was saying no, but in saying no, it seemed very strange. That they were not allowed to say what they thought they should say. They thought they knew what their message was, but God had a different message. They thought they knew what their mission was, but God was going to redirect their mission. And listen, there's some of us in this room, we're doing some really good stuff right now. We're doing some things that make a whole lot of sense right now, but God wants to send a redirect. God wants us to change course. God wants us to change message. God wants us to be on a different mission than what we're on right now. And sometimes, listen, you ready for your mind to be blown? Sometimes the way God redirects is God says no. No. Now, I'm about you, I don't like that word. You know, I, I really don't. I, I don't like the word no. You ever go to a restaurant, your favorite restaurant, you sit down, and you're like, man, I know what I'm, I don't even have to see the menu. I know what I want to order. And you go to it and they say, oh, I'm sorry, no, we, we don't have that. We're out of that. I mean, it'd be like going to Chick-fil-A and they say, I'm sorry, we're out of chicken. Would you like something else? No, not really. And there are times in our life that God says no and God's no is not always a period. It's not always a dead end. Sometimes what to us seems like a dead end and a period is in fact a bridge. What seems like something that God is stopping is in fact God is redirecting. God is moving us to a new direction, to a new focus. There's some of you, God has been closing doors and you're getting frustrated at the closed doors, but the problem is you're spending too much time looking at the door that's closed instead of looking for the door that God has opened. So listen to me. God dreams redirect our doing. There are times in our life where we are doing what is great and what is gospel-driven and what is glorifying God, and God says, I appreciate that, and that's wonderful, but I'm going to change it. Say, why does he do it? Because he's God. Listen, for 17 years, I poured my life into Ebenezer Baptist Church in Tacoa, Georgia. Love that church. Love those people. Raised my kids there. I didn't have gray hair when I went there. My son was finishing kindergarten. My daughter was in preschool. I expected I would retire there, and in the beginning of this year, God redirected me. And it went from being a choice that I was making, well, do I want to do this new opportunity, do I want to stay here, to God saying, it's not a choice, it's a call. God redirected, he gave me a new vision. There's some of you in this room, God is giving you a redirect. The no that he's giving you means a change in your schedule. It means a change in your resources. It means a change in your time. And God wants you to be in on something that if you'll get in on it, it's going to blow your mind. It's going to be even more glorious than what you're doing right now, which is incredible. See, Paul wanted to go to these churches and give them the good news. And God said, I want you to give the good news. But here's the thing. Those folks are already believers. I want you to go to people who aren't believers yet. I want you to go to people who are not saved yet. I want you to go where they don't even know the gospel. They're not even in the debates. They're not even in the discussion because they don't even know about the gospel. Wow. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in our conversations that we forget our mission. 
that sometimes we can be so focused on talking about the gospel that we aren't sharing the gospel. That sometimes we can talk so much about strategy that we forget the Savior. You with me? Happens in my life. And isn't it a powerful thing that here, literally, Paul and his companions, they're traveling through the region. They've got a plan. They've got a purpose. They've got a mission. They've got a message. And then the Holy Spirit keeps them. And then the Spirit of Jesus will not allow them. There's great big no's to get them to the yes. And there's some of us in this room, there's a great big no in your life right now. But just know this, God's no is to get you to the yes. God's no is to get you to that place where you can be in on something that's so absolutely incredible. And by the way, the people in Ephesus and Bithynia, those other places where they were not able to go, they would hear the gospel. If you go through the book of Acts, you'll see they hear the gospel and they respond. And it was in God's time and it was for God's glory. And it was not at this particular time. See, we tend to think just linear, don't we? We kind of connect the dots this way. God doesn't have to connect the dots this way. He can connect them all over the place and do something that we stand back and go, that's going to be a mess. That's not going to work. And all of a sudden, it turns into a grand painting, a grand, beautiful thing. You ever watched an artist? I remember when I was a kid, the, the guy with the big hair would paint, you know, on, on, on Channel 8, <laughs> PBS. And he made it look so easy. I remember we had to take an art class. I was probably in about seventh grade. So I thought, well, I'm going to go home and watch that cat, man. He knows what he's doing. I'll watch him. And then that, that way when I go to class the next day, I'll be, and, and he's like putting this and that and doing the line. I'm like, yeah, I can do, I can draw a line and do. And he was painting a train track. And that just happened to be what we were supposed to paint. It was supposed to be this, this visual of train tracks kind of going off in the distance. And so I, I tried it on my own and it looked, I, I couldn't figure it out. So, so I watched this guy and he's all right, do this line, do this line, do this. And he's like doing a tree and he's just kind of talking and looking at the camera, just kind of squiggly lines. And when he gets done, it looks awesome. So I thought, okay, I'll try that. So the next day in class, I'm thinking, I'm just going to pretend like I'm that guy. So I'm just kind of looking, I'm just kind of doing, and I got done and I, I look at mine thinking it's good, but it didn't look anything like his. <laughs> it was a, a, you know, it was kind of an interpretation of train tracks. Maybe if you really used your imagination, but the good news is God's paintings never turn out that way. God's never are like, oh, what God does is never like, he never has to say, oh, you know what? I messed up on that, my bad. Isn't that awesome? He never has to look at your life or my life and say, oh my goodness, I, did, I, I, I forgot about you for a minute. I'm sorry, let me fix this. He has a purpose. And with Paul and his companions, it's interesting that obviously Paul's the leader. They're all following Paul. And you can imagine how it feels as a leader where he says, all right, we're gonna go here. And the spirit of the Lord wouldn't let him go. All right, we're going to go here. And the Spirit of Jesus said no. You can imagine the others are going, okay, Mr. Leader, <laughs> we got a problem here. But the problem was that God was wanting to change what they were doing. Again, there's some of us this morning, there's something that's taking our energy. There's something that's taking our focus. There's something that our attention is on. And it may be a good thing. Listen, the message and mission Paul had was a good thing, but God had something even grander he wanted Paul to be part of. There's some of you have something good that you're part of, but God has something even grander he wants you to be in on. Maybe you've been visiting Sunday school classes and you're like, man, we finally found one we want to settle in on. My wife and I, we both agree we're going to go. We've got great people, man. They go out to eat once a month. I mean, how much better can you get? And we're going to hang out. We know some folks in there. Teacher does a good job and we can just come and kind of enjoy. And yet for some reason, there's a restlessness. And you're talking about it together and you're thinking, well, maybe we need to try a different class. Or maybe, maybe the Spirit of God is saying, no, I don't want you going into a class. I want you to go to the pastor or to Pastor Ted and say, hey, I want to start a new class. I don't want to just go participate. I want to go lead one. Well, I, I, I don't know how to lead one. Do you believe God can give you that gift? Do you believe God can, can help? Do you believe God will call you to do something you're not equipped to do? 
Oh, I guess not. Okay, then if God's put on your heart, then do it. There's a redirect that comes. God dreams redirect doing. And don't miss this. The God dreams that are redirected are never just for our good. They're always for his glory. And oftentimes they are not what we would do because God wants us and others to know it's not us, it's him. There's something else I want you to notice in our text. Not only do we see in the beginning of this section, verse 6 and through, to, through 10, that there's this redirect of the dream that Paul had. His life had been redirected by a dream, and now his mission and his message is being redirected by a dream. But notice again verse number 9. There's a very clear vision that he receives. Look what the text says. Verse number 9, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, now, it's interesting because we're not given a clear vision in the first two, the no's. We're just told that the Spirit of God told them no. The Holy Spirit told them no. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. But in this vision, in the positive vision, in the redirect into what they're to do, it is a clear vision. Do you see that? That Paul knows what the man said, and Paul knows what he's supposed to do, and Paul knows where the man is from. The details are clear. Have you ever had a dream like that? where you just, it's like it's so clear. Now, some dreams you're kind of like, yeah, I dreamed something. I don't remember. It's like a hippopotamus and, 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 and you know, in and a, and a ski boat and, and Donald Trump. I don't know what to do with all that. But then there are times where God gives us a dream that's so clear that we can't stop thinking about it. There's some of you right now, there is a vision. There is a dream that God has given you. And you know what? It's a person. It's a family member. It's a neighbor. It's a coworker. It's a friend. Maybe it's a stranger, and you just happen to see them. Every time you've been to Walmart lately, there they are. Every time you go to get gas, there they are. You're like, boy, that's kind of strange. I guess I don't know who that person is. Maybe they're stalking me. Maybe it's the FBI. I don't know. Maybe it's Putin sent somebody looking for me from Russia. I don't. Or maybe God keeps putting your paths there, and God's trying to show you that person is crying out for help. Did you notice what the text says? That the man from Macedonia didn't just say, hey, come over here and talk with us for a while. Come over here and hang out with us for a while. Come over here and be friends with us and make us feel good about ourselves. No, he says, come over here and help us. And church, can I tell you, there are people in your life, there are people in my life, and literally they're crying out to us sometimes verbally and sometimes in their body language and sometimes even in their countenance, sometimes in loud, quiet, silent ways. Come over here and help me. So we've got to decide what we're going to do. Paul had to decide, is he going to come over and help them or is he going to stay on the mission he's on and say, well, I'll do that later. We'll go to Macedonia, but it's kind of out of the way and that's not really on the plan. I don't have that in my GPS. That's not on my list of stuff from the Jerusalem church. I mean, I, I mean, you know, let me get this done and then I'll go back to headquarters and see what they want me to do. Paul had to make a decision. He had an intentional choice he had to make. And can I tell you, church, there's some of us this morning, we have an intentional decision that we've got to make. We've got to decide, are we going to go with what God said to do, or are we just going to keep doing what we're doing? And again, what we're doing is good. What we're doing is helpful. What we're doing is encouraging. What we're doing may even be gospel-focused, but is it what God wants us to do, or is it what we've decided to do? And we say, well, now that I've decided, I'm, I'm already all in. I'm already doing this. I can't change. Paul understood this intentional decision. Isn't it interesting that Remember, Paul's focus was to go to the church and bring clarity about the message of salvation. God's purpose was for Paul to go to a place that didn't need clarity of salvation, that needed to hear it for the first time, the gospel of salvation. Second principle, really simple. Obedience moves the gospel forward. Obedience 
moves the gospel forward. Every time in my life that God has given me a clear call. Now, there are some times, and I believe this is biblical and practical, there are times where God says, just make a choice. Choose A, B, or C, and I'm going to bless whether you choose A, B, or C because it's not about the choice. It's just, it's just about you loving me and, and, and sharing me and, and, and worshiping me and honoring me. But then there are those moments where God says, hey, let me help you. It's not about a choice, so don't freak yourself out. Don't think the menu is too big. Don't think the choices are too grand. I don't know how to weigh it out. No, there's only one choice. I'm telling you to do B, and if you do A or C, you're wrong. You ever had moments? I, I, that's how I came to this position at the beginning of this year that God gave me a clear understanding of the call he was placing on my life to step in and serve our pastors alongside our Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And it went from a choice I was trying to make and weigh out the pros and cons. And, you know, I love my church. I love what we're doing. We got a church in Nicaragua that's our second campus. You know, we got great things happening. Man, we got families coming. We're, we're you know, coming back from, from COVID and all that mess. And man, this, why in the world? maybe in a few years, I'll, or I could still stay where I'm at and do this. I'll just tell Thomas and Tim, and Tim Dowdy and, and Mark Marshall, and others, hey, I'll, I'll help you. Just let me know how I can help, but I'm going to stay where I'm at. And God said, no, let me help you. I'm not asking you to choose. I'm telling you this is the call. Now you can choose to either be obedient or be disobedient. There's some of us in this room, church, listen, you know, I don't know, but you know what it is in your life that right now God has given you a clear call on and you think the clear call is about you, but the clear call of your obedience is never about me. It's never about you. It's never about things being better for us or, or, or different for us or, or meeting a need for us. It's always about the gospel. You understand that? That everything God does is about the gospel. That everything the Spirit of God does is about the gospel. That everything the Word of God does is about the gospel. Jesus came to die on a cross, to be laid in the borrowed tomb, and to rise again, that whoever calls on His name will be saved. That's why He came. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. You see, Paul had a mission on his heart, but God had a mission filled on his heart. Obedience moves the gospel forward. There are some of you, there's a specific ministry God's calling you to. You say, well, but, but what, what's on my heart? I don't even know if we have here at Ivy Creek Baptist. Well, maybe you need to help start it. Or maybe like I tell my people for 17 years, and I know your pastor well enough, listen, you don't need our permission. If God's calling you to start a Bible study at work, you don't have to have a name and a curriculum. Just go start a Bible study at work. If God's called you to, to really take on your neighborhood and to be salt and light with your neighbors and invite them over and cook out hot dogs and share your testimony, you don't have to have Pastor Ted come and, and come up with a graphic and put it on the church calendar. You just go do it. See, sometimes obedience we think is somehow about us, but obedience is always about moving the gospel forward. And can I say, Ivy Creek Baptist, thank you for your obedience. Thank you for sending a team to Guatemala right now. Thank you for your faithfulness to give to the cooperative program in places you'll never go, in languages you'll never speak, in people you'll never see this side of eternity, but you're part of taking the gospel to the nations. And thank you that in taking it to the nations, you haven't lost sight of your neighbors. Thank you that you're willing to have multiple services and multiple small group hours and sometimes to be stressed out and say, well, you know, I, my, my parking place got taught. Andy, you and Melissa sat in my friend's seats. You know, Thank you for being willing to be inconvenient sometimes. Your obedience moves the gospel forward. An intentional decision Paul had to make. He had a vision of a man, verse 9 says, a man from Macedonia standing, and notice what the text says, begging him. Not suggesting, not nudging, not encouraging, begging him, come help us. Maybe there's someone in your life right now, they're begging, and you've got to decide, what am I going to do? And then finally, notice verse 10. It's a subtle verse, but it's huge. 
Look again, verse number 10, Acts chapter 16, verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, okay, Paul had the vision. Paul's leading the whole team, right? It's Paul that's redirecting the mission now. It's Paul that heard from God. After Paul had seen the vision, look at this. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. But who had the vision? It was Paul. Who's leading the mission? Who's deciding the message? It's Paul. Now, if you notice verses 6 through 9, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, describes it as Paul and they. They were doing this. They, they, they. He wasn't part of it. But verse number 10, there's a, there's a shift. There's a subtle shift, but it's significant because now it's not they, it's we. He went from reporting on what they were doing to saying, this is what we're going to do. In your first service, there were several folks who joined your church. And it was neat to see them come and stand here, hear a little bit of their story from Pastor Ted and see the church applaud. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what happens here in verse 10, that those folks had been visiting, they'd been worshiping, they'd been coming, they'd been attending Ivy Creek Baptist Church, and yet they realized at some point, hey, I don't want to just watch, I want to be in on it. I don't want to just say, yeah, they're doing good stuff at Ivy Creek. Man, they got a heart for the nations. Man, they got a mission. To, I want to say I, I want to say we. <laughs> And that's what happens here in verse 10. It's so powerful that when Paul responded to the call in his life, when Paul let his dream change and his doing change, the dream of others and the doing of others was also impacted. The call was clear. It was challenging. Paul had to take the gospel to a place he'd never heard the gospel. And there's this subtle change, the beginning of the we in the rest of the book of Acts. So Luke joins Paul and Silas and Timothy. So what's the point? The third principle is simply this. Gospel dreams motivate others. When God puts a dream in my heart and I do it, the way, one of the ways I know that it's of God is it's not just about me, but other people get in on it. Other people say, yeah, man, I want to be in, I want to be part, yeah, I heard what you're doing in your neighborhood, man, can I come over? Or hey, tell me what you did, I want to do that in my neighborhood. Hey, I, I heard about what you're doing in your small group, I heard about what you're doing at your school, I heard about what you're doing in your workplace, I heard about what you're doing with your family. Man, I want to do it. You see, gospel dreams motivate others. It's never just us. It's never just stopping with us. It's never just about us. It's always a bridge to more, more for the glory of God, more people being involved in mission. Isn't that awesome? It's this little subtle thing in verse 10 that Paul saw the vision. We got ready to leave for Macedonia. And I love the end of verse 10. It says, concluding that God, look at this, that God had called who? Paul, no. That God had called them, no. That God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, passion is contagious. God knew that. And he knew that he could use the passion of Paul and the redirecting of his doing by a dream to ignite new passion in Luke and in Timothy and in Silas and in others. You ever notice how passion is contagious like that? That it, that it motivates others? I mean, you can go to a ball game and maybe you don't want to be there. Maybe you're there for your kids or grandkids or and, and not that you don't love them, but you know, it's July, it's hot. And you're thinking, man, are you kidding me? Two o'clock in the afternoon? I mean, I'm like melting and I'm not even out of the car yet. But yet you get there, and man, the energy gets going, and, and the, the kids start playing well, or even if they're not playing well, it's your kids, so you get excited, right? Oh, that's the best thing ever. Well, he missed it. Yeah, but he almost had it. You get excited. Or maybe you've been like, like we were. We were at a concert recently. We went to the Grand Ole Opry. It was our 30th anniversary a few weeks ago, and so we went up to, to outside of Nashville and stayed in a little cottage up there, so we went to Grand Ole Opry. Now, you know, I'm not a country music fan. I don't even play the radio in my truck. It, and by the way, I, my truck's newer. I, you can't turn it off. You can just mute it, which is weird to me. But anyway, so, so I always hit mute. 
So we get there, and, and Reba McIntyre was there that night. Is her first in-person concert since COVID, packed house at the Grand Ole Opry. Not only did we get to see her do the Grand Ole Opry, but then they took a break, and then they recorded this special. Some of you may have seen it on ABC uh, on July 4th, the July 4th special. The two songs she did, we got to be part of the recording of that. So we're in there, but of course, you know how it works, right? To hear Reba McIntyre, you got to listen to all these people you've never heard of at the Grand Ole Opry. And they take forever, and they talk like we care to hear their story. It, it, just saying, I didn't pay all this money to come here. I don't even know who you are. I'm trying to scroll through. I can't even find you on Google. Yeah. But anyway, but what happened was, as the night goes on, and, and, and then people are playing and they're telling their story, I found myself pulled into it. I found myself, like, caring. I found myself, like, putting in my phone notes, hey, that's a kind of a neat song. I'm, I'm going to try to remember that, tell my, my, my son and my daughter about it. I found myself being pulled in because there was energy, there was excitement. And, and there was one group of guys, I can't remember their name, Melissa might remember, but there was a group of guys, and, and, and like when they got on stage, like the energy of the room just like went up. It just ramped up. And I'm thinking, I've never even heard of these guys. Well, come to find out during one of the breaks, because you know it's all on TV, so you got these TV intermissions while they're like making up stuff to do. So the little MC guy comes out, and come to find out this whole section of people was their family. So I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. Like they walk out there, and they're not even hardly, and everybody's like, oh! I'm thinking, man, who are these people? I've never even heard of this group. And, then, and then, I mean, they get the first note, oh, yeah, and they're clapping. And then afterwards, and, and it's like they, they're getting more applause than the big names. Well, it's their family. It's their moms and dads and, you know, cousins and aunts and neighbors or whoever, you know, wanting a piece of the action. So, but it was contagious. And church, can I tell you, if there's anything that ought to be contagious, it ought to be the gospel in us as believers. That, man, if we think the lost world's going to get excited about the gospel, if we don't, we got something else coming. And I hope that here at Ivy Creek, and I'm sure you do, that when people are baptized, I hope it's almost like people outside driving their own that what in the world's going on that baptism? I hear, I, hear, I hear noise coming out of there. I hope you're getting crazy. And I, I hope that when God brings people to partner their life with your life, like in the first service, it was awesome that, that Pastor Ted didn't have to prompt like, okay, y'all make them feel welcome. Okay, okay, come on, come on. Now, it was like everybody went, oh, yeah, they're part of us now. That's the way it ought to be. And that's exactly what happens here at the end of verse 10 in Acts chapter 16 is the vision, the dream that God gave Paul became a shared dream. The mission became a shared mission. The redirect of the doing became a redirect of the doing. And can I tell you, Ivy Creek, that's exactly how God still works. He takes your pastor. He takes your leaders. He sometimes takes someone who's not even officially a leader, but someone over here, and God puts something in their heart or certainly in the heart of the pastor, and all of a sudden you hear it, and you go, man, I I don't want to just hear about that. I don't want to just watch that. I want to be part of that. It becomes contagious. See, I'm thankful that your pastor, Pastor Craig, and that you here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church are known as a church that's not afraid to dream, but you're also not afraid to do. That dreaming and doing connect together. It's not one or the other, it's both. And and there's some of you, God brought you here this morning. God had you tune in this morning. God has you listening to this message because he wants you to stop being afraid to dream. Listen, the word of God says that you can't even imagine, you can't see, you can't hear, you can't even have in your mind what God has prepared for you for his glory. So let's not be afraid. And when we dream, don't just put the dream away. Don't let it just be some side story or some side show or some what if that we never act on. Let the dream that comes from God change what we do so we can do the dream that he gave us. And not only will our life be blessed, but the gospel will move forward. I want to tell you something. You may have a big dream that you're pursuing with all you've got right now. But if your dream comes from anywhere other than Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, your best dream is going to turn into a nightmare at some point. 
If you accomplish everything you want to accomplish and do everything that you want to do, and it's not because of Jesus as Lord of your life, then I want to tell you something. Your dream will end up being a nightmare. Your, your, your ideal will end up being shattered. You'll realize it's just a facade with nothing behind it. It might be today that for the first time in your life, you need to give your life to Jesus. It's not about saying, here's my life, Jesus. If you want to be part of it, man, you're welcome to come join me because here's my plan for my life. Here's how, what I'm going to do with my money. Here's what I'm going to do with my time. Here's how I'm going to use my influence. No, it's about saying, here's my life, my dreams, my hopes, my successes, my failures, my past, my future, my today. Lord, it all belongs to you. You are king. You are Lord. You are Savior. Maybe today for the first time in your life, you need to give your life to Christ and be saved. Exactly what Paul was going to do to tell those in Macedonia about the power of the gospel, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe today you're a believer. You know Christ is Lord and Savior, but you've not taken that next step yet. You've not put on the uniform, the wedding ring of being a Jesus follower through baptism. And maybe in just a moment when we stand and this altar is open, you need to come to Pastor Ted and say, hey, I need to be obedient in baptism. Or maybe you know Christ as Lord and Savior. You've been baptized by immersion, identifying with Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. But God's calling you to join this church. You say, well, there's a lot of things I don't know. Well, there's a lot of things they don't know, but God knows. I loved it in the first service. Pastor Ted said, hey, we, we told these folks as we met with them individually and as we talked about who we are at Ivy Creek, we're not a perfect church and we're not a perfect staff. And the good news is we know they're not perfect people either. So if we can all just agree on that and know that we serve a perfect God, we'll all be better off. So maybe God's calling you to join this church or maybe God's calling you just to come to this altar. You can do business right there where you are, but maybe God's calling you to come and take a physical movement and to, and to physically kneel at this altar between you and he, but in a physical way to say, Lord, you know what? I'm willing to listen so that you can redirect my doing. Lord, I'm willing for you to put a dream in me that's greater than I could ever create on my own that may, that may be so incredible that if you're not in it, it won't happen. But if you're in it and I do it and it happens, you're going to get all the glory. Maybe today God's calling you just to come and say, Lord, redirect me. Lord, give me a new dream or resurrect the dream that I've let die. Resurrect the thing that you put in my heart that I've not acted on. And so, Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word is not only about then, but it's about now. And we thank you for the dreams that you give us, that your people ought to be people who dream. And that when we have that dream, that vision from you, we act on it. And when we live it out, when we dream and we do, others come to know you. The gospel goes forward. Lord, sometimes to move the gospel forward means we've got to stop doing what we're doing. The good things, the busy things, the comfortable things, we've got to be willing to let go of. Lord, I pray this morning for those who need to give their life to you, who've never been saved, that, Lord, today they would see your faithfulness in your word, in the story of human history, and the power of the gospel to change lives. And today they would call upon the name of Jesus and have their forever dream changed. They're forever doing changed because of what you did on the cross and the power of your resurrection. So Lord, in a moment as we stand together, let this be our time to respond, not to me, but to your word and to your spirit. In the same way that Paul allowed that God dream to redirect his doing, may we be willing to redirect our doing. In the same way that his obedience moved the gospel forward, let us see that our obedience, as simple as it may seem, our obedience in this moment can move the gospel forward. And Lord, we thank you 
that as this happens, it becomes contagious. That God's dreams motivate others. That others step in with us to do what we can never do alone. And together, we serve you and honor you. And we push back the darkness. And we see lives changed by the power of your gospel. We pray this, Jesus, in your sweet, strong name. Amen.